You just yeah. mentioned yeah. the conference you went to this last week. <laughs> I know that was supposed to be like a great transition that you had. <laughs> you, 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 you put it, you set it up. And that's a perfect segue. You, you segued it perfectly. And then I just, I didn't, I didn't latch on to no, it. It's also because I'm looking at your face and the, the way you said it and the face you made made oh, it really yeah. funny. So. Yeah, it was well done. <laughs> but yes, this conference... <laughs> You ready to go? Yep. All right. Hi, Jess. Hi, John. How's it going? It's going pretty well, yeah. Uh, we had daylight savings time today, so now I'm all messed up with trying to deal with people in America. Now it's, I think, six hours oh. to the West Coast or seven hours. I don't even know. Like We moved back, but America doesn't move back for another two weeks, so I'm all discombobulated with trying to coordinate with everyone. I can't even keep up with it in my current time zone. I remember being in Korea and being like, wait, what just happened and how does that impact yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough enough dealing with people around the world. It's I don't understand why countries don't sync up daylight savings. Like one, daylight savings doesn't make much sense to me to begin with. Yes, seriously. You're going to have this. You're all going to have this and you're all going to do it at different times. What is that positive. I'm sure someone could give us a really in-depth analysis on why this needs to be a thing course, but yeah. to me it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm sure sense. it's some historical thing of some guy did something at some point and then we all had to do it forever. Or something about the calendars of the Mayans or someone <laughs> back in the... Yeah. yeah, of course. It's always the Mayans. <laughs> so I wanted to follow up with you. Last week we were talking about some things we were going to try to do this week. We had talked mm -hmm. a bit about my time tracking and my using this app Toggle. And you said you were going to try to and use it. And my challenge week. was to do yeah. it. Yeah. So how'd that go? What happened? So I was really gung-ho and did it for a solid four days. All right, not bad. And was able to see statistics and trends around what I was spending the majority of my time okay. on. But I did find it very challenging just to, and maybe this is just the part that you keep trying and eventually it becomes a habit, but remembering as I'm shifting between tasks was challenging. Sure, and I know yeah. that it only takes five seconds or whatever, but just the conscious effort alone was the part that was challenging, which I think is a really good thing to work on continuously. And, and that is one of the, the benefits. If you do manage to do it consistently, it does really focus you on what you're doing right now. So it makes you very aware of where your focus is placed. That is one of the benefits. But as we said, it's hard when you're trying to do anything new. Doing something new is not natural for us. You know, inertia is right. a powerful thing. And when you're trying to exert some sort of change over yourself, it's always a stuttering stop and go kind of thing. But yeah, that, that's that's pretty nifty. Uh, four days is not bad. I'm glad you did it yeah. for a little while at least to just get a sense for it. Because it, it definitely can give you some insights, especially when you get off track from where you want to be and you get off schedule. You just see where your time yeah. is melting away. Yeah, it's, it's nice. And now I'm going, wow, I spent how much time cooking and eating? Right. This is, this is one of the things that I found fascinating because since I've moved to Ireland, I am cooking a lot more or I'm helping my girlfriend cook a lot more anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the best on my own. I'm still in assistant mode. But I've noticed that we generally spend 30 minutes to an hour cooking and then 15 minutes eating. And it just makes me a little bit sad every time because I'm like, spend four times the time cooking and preparing that I do actually consuming the food. 
Yeah. Well, this will be another topic, but you have to watch or read Cooked by Michael Pollan because it talks a lot about that and how the trends have changed, but how originally it was like this big ordeal. Oh, okay. Yeah. More later. More yeah, later. Yeah, well, I do. I want to learn about cooking, so yeah, that'd be good. Your challenge was to read two books. Right. I was supposed to right? finish my two books. I was already halfway or more than halfway through both of them. Right. To have yeah. read two books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was trying to finish another book by David Allen, which is like, I guess, kind of his sequel to Getting Things Done, I guess. And then I was trying to finish off this other book, Coined, which is about the history of currency and how we interface with currency and just how we think about money and neuroeconomics and things. I did finish Making It All Work, the David Allen book. I didn't quite finish Coined. I just got swamped with a whole bunch of stuff trying to yeah. actually get this podcast out the door has, you know, it's a bit yeah. into a bit of my time. Uh, so I couldn't quite get that done, but I got one of them done at least. And it is really hey. nice. I mean, sometimes you get busy and you get off track and you just stop reading and reading has been for the last few years, such a core thing for me. It's like getting to where I, again, am reading every day and reading an hour or more every day. It just puts you in a better mental state and it keeps you thinking. It keeps you active, getting an influx of new ideas and things. Yeah, I agree. That's why it's such an anchor for me. Yeah. But so you spent a lot of time reading, but more time editing the podcast. But that's a good thing, I guess, because you're getting to just continuously work on audio editing. Yeah, I really have enjoyed doing this, just like I've enjoyed just about everything that we always did with NTL. Audio editing and handling everything with submitting the podcast to Apple and getting it ready for YouTube and everything that I've been doing with it has been really gratifying. And I found that... And, and I'm sure you'll get this when you listen back or if we ever have you do any of the edits, but mm -hmm. listening to yourself talk for an hour or two and listening to all the little foibles and all the little ums and oohs and weird stutteringness at different parts, uh, it, it, it makes you exceedingly aware of how you communicate and the weaknesses of how you communicate. Like I was talking to someone yesterday and I could feel in every moment I was speaking, that I was thinking about how I was speaking. Not even what I was talking oh, about, gosh. but just like how I was speaking and how the words were So self-conscious to a point. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, I think it's I think it's still good because it makes you more aware. Yeah. There's a person I know here who, she doesn't really have a stutter, but she has this thing that she does where she kind of gets a little bit flustered and she'll just be like, you know? And... It's the kind of thing where she's looking for approval to get you to say, yeah, yeah, I understand what you're talking about, right? And I don't think she's fully aware of it. So it's really nice to listen back and be like, oh, yeah, no, you need to think a little bit before you communicate some things. Because it's, it's just always better to pause and stuff rather than just run through it. Um, so it's been educational. I have listened to myself in the past, but I haven't listened to myself recently. Sure. But I've noticed how I communicate when talking to the italki tutors that I, I've been speaking with in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Because in English, I still pause a good amount, mm. but that's mostly to have really coherent thoughts. Whereas in Spanish, it's to actually figure out what I need to say or how to say it. And a lot of times their perception is that you either don't know anything or you're just very simple minded. And so it's been an interesting exercise to see how my pauses impact what they come back with. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I remember when I was younger, I would talk sometimes to people who were not native English speakers. And you do just have that assumption 
that, oh, this person's not very smart or this person doesn't really know very much about this, even though it's really just they're struggling with the language. They might know a whole lot more than you. And that's why it's so funny when you come up with somebody who's incredibly articulate in your language, who's not a native speaker at all. And you're like, oh, oh, no, they're very well versed on this topic, clearly, because yeah, yeah. they're better versed in my language than I am on this topic. That's true. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah, I really enjoy all of these sorts of things, though, because with language learning, one of the keys is that you have to do it the way that we always did things with NTL and the way we're doing things with this podcast, where you just are figuring it out as you do it. There are some subjects... Right. Like if you're learning about history, that you can just kind of learn it. You can just sit in a room with a book and just learn history. And obviously you get more texture if you go to like battlefields and castles and things, but you can learn it just from a book. Yeah, it's still a lot of facts that aren't happening right now. So right. like this podcast, NTL, before when we were doing blogging and learning a language, you must be doing it every single day. Yeah. Or at least close to every single day to get that repetition and really understand how to learn it by doing it yeah exactly you have to do it very very regularly and, and that's that's just a part of skill development but I've, I've been loving it with this podcast and I'm sure you've done it a lot with your uh, you were just talking about it with italki so I wanted to ask you in, in your Spanish language learning how much of it is study versus how much of it is use do you know what I mean Right, and that's a great question because it's something that I'm still definitely working through how to make sure I'm studying enough before I'm using it. But so far, since I've adopted italki, mm -hmm. it's been probably 80% use really? and maybe 20% study. Okay, wow, nice. But that also might mean that I'm not doing as much on Spanish time-wise as I was trying to before. Before, it was very much a... Let me use the spaced repetition system Anki and let me just make the cards. Sure. And every morning I would study the pronunciation and go through some cards. Right. And now I find myself forgetting to do that more, but I feel like instead of trying to put in words, I'm still grappling with, okay, now I need to already know certain sentences and I need to be working on these concepts that I can communicate to this person sure. the next day or next week. So I'm always going through Skype and adding some cards in, but for the most part, just looking and kind of doing my own writing and studying that way based on what they had asked me to do homework-wise. Okay, yeah, well, and, and that's that makes sense. And one of the things I was going to say is when I think about usage in terms of language study in particular well and this this applies to a lot of subjects not just language learning but with language learning in particular and you're talking about like with your flashcards with anki mm -hmm. a useful way to think about it is that studying is when you're reviewing the cards but i think of the actual making of the cards as using it it's not the same as speaking it's not the same as talking to someone it's not the same as reading it's not the same as writing but it is using the language in a certain respect do you know what I mean? Okay. I think... Then it might even be 90-10. Yeah, because the, the creation of the cards is very different from the studying of the cards. In the same way that if you're going to talk to someone, studying words beforehand is very different from the actual conversation. It's just for making the cards, it's reversed. The making comes first as opposed to the studying. Right. What's been really interesting about it for me is since Korea, Korea is when I started, and making cards was always the worst part of the process okay. it really was a struggle yeah. i think it's because i didn't really know how to begin so every time i had to switch into this mental space where i had to go into figuring it out mode and 
I did that with Spanish for a while, but now studying the actual cards is a lot more of a mental, not even hard, but I don't always want to do it. Whereas making the cards, if I have a block of time where I can sit down and I could just make the cards, I'm actually excited about that. Whereas before I hated it. I know it. what you mean. And I think this is one of those things where you're getting familiar with your tools. And I, and I see it the same way when I'm dealing with video editing or when I'm dealing with audio editing. When you're first dealing with it, it's just this struggle of trying to figure out where do I click, what do I move, being kind of worried you're going to mess something up and it's going to take you a lot more time and energy later. But once you get comfortable with the tools, that's an exciting part because you have this feeling of creation, you have this feeling of progress. And, and I'm with you. I, I run into this as well when I'm studying flashcards for Spanish. You don't feel like you're moving forward because these are already words that you've already studied. These are already words that you've already remembered at one point. You're just deepening them yeah. and entrenching them. So I, I can definitely see that perspective. Yeah. And, and it, it gets even worse because one of the shortcomings with the way that we have learned the language is that it really requires a lot of consistency or else it gets a bit demoralizing. And, and that's mm -hmm. a good thing in that it motivates you and it pushes you to stay on it. But it's a bad thing because if you fall off, you can often fall off pretty hard. I was studying German a few years ago and then we were both studying Korean while we were in Korea. And I remember for Korean, I studied pretty hard, at least an hour a day, for about three months. And then I got off of it. And because the way a space repetition system works, let's say I had 4,000 cards. Every day I would get 200 new cards that I had to study because there's cards that I studied two weeks ago, a month ago, that are now coming back up. And if you miss it for five days, six days, Suddenly, instead of having 200 cards to study, you have 1,000, you have 1,500 cards. It becomes such a mountain so quickly that it, it, it's not ideal if you're falling off the wagon. There's some strategies yeah. to try to get back on, but that can be demoralizing, yeah. That's why my card count right now, and also because I'm not using it as regularly as I was before using italki, mm -hmm. is a little smaller because I know that I'm going to fall off and it's going to get larger, and I know I could increase or decrease my overall card count. Yeah. Right, well, and, and that's, a, that's a useful thing to think about because when I started working with Spanish... I started by making 30 new flashcards a day and normally I would batch them for a week or two. So I would do like a couple hundred in a day. I would just study them for a couple weeks, right? But what I do now, because a lot more of my time working with Spanish is spent writing or reading or watching television shows or doing other things, now I don't make nearly as many cards every day. And I don't study as many cards every day. I, I've moved from making 30 cards a day down to making only 10 cards a day, right? So I spend a third of the time studying the flashcards that I used to, but that is supplemented by doing these more advanced things. Because when you first start with the language, you can't go out and read a newspaper. You can't watch TV. But then when you get to an intermediate level, it's more useful to switch some of your time actually using it in natural language and move it away from the flashcards. Because the flashcards, I think, have a diminishing return. They're really useful for remembering yeah. corrections and remembering your mistakes and eliminating errors that have kind of become entrenched in your mind. But I know I had some issues with the use of a and de in Spanish and using them not always in the right places. And so whenever I came up with an error of prepositions, I would just make a sentence that I knew was correct, that had been corrected, and then it would correct that in my mind. But you don't have to do that with everything. 
and you can get a lot more practice and it's a lot more engaging if you watch a sitcom in Spanish than if you spend 10 hours making cards and studying cards. Yeah, it's good to get your first level of it and then afterwards it's really useful to kind of immerse yourself and use it all the time. Yes. And I'm still, I need to start doing this for, for cards in general. Mm. Um, is going back and adding in more of the grammar that I am struggling with. Cause I think I told you that in a past time we talked that the grammar is really where I'm having a hard time. Sure. I had a hard time with English grammar. Right. So I know I'm having a hard time with Spanish grammar. Well, and I think there is a hurdle that most people learning a language have to get over. And that hurdle is that you don't need to learn grammar. And I know a lot of people always get angry when people say something like that. So I'm, I'm just waiting for the torrent of emails that I get about saying something like this. But this, this is where I think the distinction is in, in language. There is information that you have to learn. And there are skills that you have to develop. And I know we've discussed that a little bit before. But the information is declarative memory. And those are things that when you use that information, you have to actively think about it. Those are words. That's vocabulary, primarily. right? So I need to know how to say cow. How do I say cow? Baca. Okay? So, okay, I can say cow. Mm -hmm. But if you don't... Nice. You have a cat there hanging out? Gato, uh, yes. Nice, that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, he's a little, he's a little meower. Um, yeah, he doesn't shut up. He's probably hungry. yeah, probably. So just keep going. Okay. You're gonna hear. Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. It's all good. Okay, so that's declarative memory. So that when you think about how you speak English, as you're speaking, you're thinking about what you want to say, but you're not thinking about the grammar of what you want to say. You're not thinking about the pronunciation of what you want to say. You're just thinking about the words and phrases that you want to use. On the other side, there is skills, and you've already dealt with this with pronunciation. You need to entrench pronunciation, you need to make it automatic, but you don't really need to learn the IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet. You don't need to learn all of the details about this is exactly how you need to shape your mouth and these, this is how these sounds relate. Like, you don't need to be able to explain that, you just need to be able to make the sound. So you yeah. do need to be able to explain what a cow is. You don't need to be able to explain how to make the F sound. Those, those are two different things. And grammar is much more like pronunciation than it is like vocabulary. Yeah. So you need to make it automatic and you need to ingrain it, but you don't need to be able to explain it. And that's an important distinction. Let's start with how you would do it through flashcards, okay? So the way you generally, or the way I've always done it through flashcards is you just use examples. And at the same time that you're learning vocabulary, you also try to learn phrases and you try to learn sentence structure and you try to learn tenses and grammar, okay? The first, so the first, okay, the, the first level is pronunciation. The second level is vocabulary. Those cards, you know how to make. Those cards are fairly simple. If anybody listening doesn't know how to make those, we can explain those in the future if you're curious, but they're, they're fairly simple. Or we can send you to Fluent Forever. True, we can send you to other people. <laughs> yeah, we can send you to other people that know a lot about this as well. But those two levels are fairly simple. Moving beyond that is somewhat more difficult. But let's say you've moved beyond that. Instead of making a card for potatoes, let's say, making a card for bag of potatoes or sack of potatoes, suddenly you're picking up a bit of grammar from that. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying just house, you said Jose's house. Now, if you were learning English, you would learn how to use the possessive S by doing that, right? You don't need to really know right. what the possessive S is. You don't need to be able to explain that. 
but you need to grasp that. And if you've seen something in a few examples, and then you're struggling, tossing around in your mind for how would I do this? Well, if you already know a few examples for how to use that grammatical concept that you already know in your native language, it's much easier to latch onto that and to actually use that than if you know a bunch of vocabulary but you've never picked up on these things, right? Right, that's so true. And on this, one thing is when I think about learning grammar, and I guess this is also the way I couched it, but I don't think about looking the way a lot of people do at a grammar book and going through the exercises because that sounds monotonous and horrible to me also. Sure, yeah. But besides that... Uh, When I think about learning grammar, I think about I talk to this tutor on italki, Mm -hmm. and I'll say something, and I'm wrong, but instead of saying, that's wrong, he'll just say it the right way, and I'll go, oh, and and he'll say something like, "Uh, that was very good, well, we'll we'll keep, we'll keep going, we'll keep working on it, and then he'll give me homework that is coming up with phrases that I can talk to him about, but it's using a certain tense, like going back and forth with the tenses. Okay. So I'm having to learn, okay, I have to think of all these words and all these sentences and the structure of it enough to be able to say it to him. And then when I say it to him, again, I'm questioning it. So it's it's not me looking at this grammar book. It's me very much figuring out how to speak to him, which is the same thing, I guess, as this this camp you're talking about with the skill yeah it's it's very similar uh it's it's very very similar and and the the key with both of these things is language as irregular as it is is very systematic things are easy to pick up there are tons and tons of patterns within language and so you were just talking about verb conjugation that's one of the ones that i use flashcards for a lot and it's useful because again in Spanish, there are three types of verbs, right? There's er, ir, ar kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say you're trying to learn three new verbs. Verbs are very regular. So if you wanted to learn the past tense, for instance, you learn those three new verbs and you learn them in the past tense. If you checked as you were making the cards to see if they were regular or irregular, so you know if they're going to do something crazy, then essentially at the same time that you're learning the words and you're learning maybe some other vocabulary in the sentences, you're also learning how to conjugate in the past tense. And then you can try to apply that as you're talking or as you're writing or as you're thinking to Mm -hmm. other verbs you've already learned. Yeah. As you learn this, you just pick up chunks of language. And that's why it's useful to integrate your vocabulary acquisition with flashcards into picking up grammar and picking up structure you'll just pick these things up automatically you won't even have to think about it you know what i mean but you have to kind of plan a little bit and this is where i think it gets difficult for a lot of people because you don't really know what you don't know you don't know german has cases so german you have to change things based upon whether something's a subject or an object or possessive you have to change like the the what we just said the possessive s that is a case right latin languages like spanish don't have cases German has cases. But you don't really know that because English only really has the possessive case anymore. We got right. rid of our other cases. And so when you're going into it, you can learn a whole bunch of vocabulary, but then you're like, wait, oh, there's cases? What does that mean? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, and, and you just didn't even know that you didn't know that, right? So it is useful, yeah. I think, to look at a grammar book. Or if you, even if you don't look at a grammar book, it's useful to be actively trying to figure out 
how do I say certain things? Right. You can start speaking very pidgin Spanish of just throwing words out right. there. But at some point you have to know kind of the flow of a sentence yes. and what should be going before your nouns or your verbs and how to make them how to make them work for what you're trying to say. And that's what I found incredibly useful is not just looking at the grammar but having to continuously determine is this right or is this right? Let me just say one. He'll say it in the right way. Then I'll say it back to him. And then sure. we'll just keep going in the conversation. Well, And that's what's incredibly nice about having a tutor that you can actually do that with. Um, that, that, that is a really nice resource to be able to utilize like that, especially since it's free for you. So, you know, that, that works out. Yeah. But I've used this website, uh, tatueva.org, like we talked about before for this sort of thing. And, and it's useful because if you're just trying to figure out, here's here's how I would go about it. If, if you don't know anything and you don't know what you want to do, the way I would think about it is I have this word list of the 5,000 most common words in the language. Once I get to like, I don't know, word 700, word 800, maybe word 500, I start wanting to put them into sentences. So if you go into Tatueva and you look up a certain word, let's say I look up the word for couch, you'll get a whole bunch of sentences that have the word couch. And mm -hmm. If you know what the sentence says without having to check anything, you skip that sentence until you get to a sentence where there's something you don't know or something that does you don't understand. Then you look up what that sentence means. They often will have English translations for them there. So you take that sentence, there's something structurally that you didn't understand, and then you turn that into flashcards. And then that little piece of the language that you didn't understand, you will now understand. Right. And, and then you can generalize yeah. that. To yeah. Things. And that's something I learned and I'm now starting to do it a lot more. But I started that because at the beginning of that word list, there's a bunch of words that you don't know how to put into a picture necessarily. Sure. So I just started finding sentences and you were the one I think who told me about SpanishDick.com. Yeah. So I started using that and just pulling up sentences or phrases that included it, which they're very common words, so that was easy. Sure, of course. From there, I've been starting to learn sentences and seeing the flow, but I still need to continue doing this for overall grammar concepts, just continue making sentence cards and maybe focus more on sentence cards. Yeah. Because that's the part that I'm struggling with the most. Yeah, well, and that, that definitely makes sense. And that is the other thing, what you just mentioned, that once picture cards get really difficult, then suddenly sentence cards become essential because you can't make a picture card for gracious or something like that. Anyway, there are a lot of words that don't suit pictures, like for and and. Uh, and so, yeah, sentences do suddenly become easier. And it's easier with a lot of sentences, there will be something that you can put a picture that connects to the sentence, right? So I still use pictures right. with sentence cards, but you don't have to connect right. it to the word that you're learning. You can connect it to something else in the sentence, um, which can still be right. useful. And something you mentioned before that I wanted to go back to really quick was you have the different buckets. And in the skills buckets, you have things like pronunciation. And then I guess grammar or the usage of grammar could be a skill altogether. Yes. But when you said that, I thought of, it's funny to me how my speaking mm -hmm is still very, very, very subpar. And I'm even self-conscious to go speak at restaurants still because it's just not where I want it to be. Right. But my reading, I picked up a magazine in one of the flights I was mm -hmm. on and it was in half Spanish, half Portuguese. Nice. And I could understand probably 75% of it, even from context within the article. Sure. It was just very, very easy. And I'm thinking, wow, even these words, I 
didn't know quite a few of the words, but I understood based on the other words I knew in the sentence. And so writing, I have trouble with. Mm. Reading, already pretty decent at. Speaking, have a lot of trouble with. Understanding, not as much trouble. Sure. It's very interesting to see how I... Well, and it's it's one of the things that we've always dealt with with like amateur hours and trying to learn new skills that especially something as big and complicated as dealing with a language is a real big bundle of skills and knowing how to utilize or decipher the grammar is one part of that but like you said Mm -hmm. the the challenge of speaking and listening is that it requires additional skills to be brought into it. it it requires you to be able to do things in time instantly understand instantly respond be able to keep track keep pace like as you're reading you can figure things out as you go you can refer back and be like oh wait are they talking about this you can read the headline and be like ah this is what the subject is i don't have to worry about it so then it's easy exactly yeah, yeah. you can exactly. you can break it down more this is why it's so important like when we were in korea there were plenty of people that we taught or at least plenty of people that i taught and even the people that i worked with who could read english fairly well but they could not speak for their lives this is true. When we were teaching, they they taught us this, but it became apparent because you're talking to your class, you get all these blank stares, and you say it a couple more times, trying to make sure they get the listening right. skill, and then that will eventually go to the speaking, but if they don't understand, you can't get them speaking. Yeah. Then you automatically, if you can't get through after, uh, my count was usually three times, uh-huh. I would write it. Done. Everyone gets exactly. it. We're moving on. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> then I repeat it and have them repeat yeah. it. Yeah, and, and this is this is an essential thing to understand that it's it's just like in a sport where if you practice one thing every time, you're going to be pretty good at that thing. Like if you play tennis and all you do is serve, you're going to be great at serving, but you're not going to be very good with your backhand. So you got to yeah. practice that too. And while there are similar things, you're still hitting a ball. Like you're still doing playing the same sport. It's not exactly the same thing, and you really do have to work out that those other muscles, those other, you need to acquire those other aspects of the skill. So you'd say after about 500 to 700 vocabulary cards, you started making sentence cards that gave you more grammar and basis that way? Well, I started with, so no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't d- jump right into sentence cards like that. I started with prepositional phrases, because prepositions are oh. one of the things that... I know from my experience with French and my experience with German, and I was kind of lucky when dealing with Spanish that I already had quite a bit of experience with other languages, but that's one of the things that is just extremely difficult to get consistently. It's one of the things that shows even high-level language learners are not native, is that they misuse prepositions. Prepositions and articles. Yeah, Yeah, prepositions and articles, exactly. They're also much easier to make a card for. It's a little bit difficult when you don't know anything about the grammar, to acquisition enough to be able to make sense of full sentences. And it's often hard right. when you're looking around for sentences, like even on Tatueva, like I was saying, it's hard to find short sentences that are short and meaningful and useful. Yeah. And so it's much easier to do sack of potatoes or go to school kind of thing. That yeah. is much easier than saying, Johnny will go to school tomorrow. That is much harder than just saying go to school. And so, yeah, when I got to about... 400 words, I started making prepositional phrases. And then by the time I got to about 700 words, not not 700 cards, 700 words, I started making full sentences. Because it's around there, like 600, 700 words, 
that you really need to start learning how to use verbs properly because you start to run into the fact that so many words are non-concrete. So they're words that you can't depict with a picture card, like you were saying. Okay, that's where I need to go next because I'm probably right around... No, I've made more than 400 for sure, but I'm, pr I'm probably at more than... 400 words, but I've started using them. Mm -hmm. So I need to now go back to the prepositional phrases because that's where I'm having trouble articulating. Sure. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is important to realize also is that making new cards doesn't necessarily mean that you need all new words. A lot of the sentence cards mm -hmm. that I make have words that I already know or use verbs that I already know. But it's using this verb in a conjugation that I didn't know before, and I'm learning a different adjective that I didn't know before. As long as there are one or two or three pieces of useful information in a sentence or a phrase that you didn't know, and you couldn't translate and understand what that phrase was before, it's worth delving into. One of the difficulties you do run into with doing this sort of thing, though, in just kind of the scattershot way I was describing of you just find something that you don't know, is that sometimes you will learn kind of obscure grammar, or you'll learn things that are exceptions instead of learning things that are very common, because that just happens yeah. to be what you couldn't understand. And it's the same problem that you run into with if you're making cards from a frequency dictionary. As you move down to the less frequent words, you get to words like revolver and helicopter, and those words are not as useful in like actual life as you know banana and apple that was something i am still running up against as i have children's books that i am reading mm -hmm. and i'll find a word that i don't know but it's because it's not a very frequently used sure. word but i really want to understand it and i want to put that yeah. into my list so i do and then i realize I've used that only in that book, and that book just happened to be talking about something that's a theme, and I'm not covering it in themes, I'm covering it based on the frequency dictionary yeah. list. So, yeah, that's always a difficulty. Like, I've read articles, and it will talk about the finance minister of Germany or something. I'm like, well, I don't really need to know how to say finance minister. That one actually translates pretty straightforward, but, yeah. but, but you know, for a lot of things... It's like, well, I don't really need to know that right away. Like, eventually, maybe I'll want to know that, but I don't need to know yeah. it right now. Of course, I would also say, like, the frequency dictionary only goes so far because once you get to a thousand, maybe 1500 words, depending on your appetite for learning the language, I think specializing in things that you're interested in starts to become useful. Like, I used to play music a lot. I'm pretty into music. So I started trying to pick up some music vocabulary in Spanish. Luckily, it's very similar to Italian, which is what a lot of music vocabulary is in. So it's pretty much the same stuff. But if you are interested in sports, you know, learning ling lingo around running or athletics or sports or anything might be useful. Because once you get to like a thousand words, you can understand about 70, 75% of what's going on around you. You get to 2,000 words and you're about 80% of what's going on around you, right? In common speech. And so once you get to understanding 80%, anything that you learn is really not going to move you very far. So you really want to try to figure out, well, what things do I actually care about? What things do I read about? The newspapers that I read 
in Spanish to try to improve my language, generally deal with stuff that deals with politics and economics and business and things like that. And so I need that vocabulary much more than I need the vocabulary about sports because I don't read about sports in Spanish, you know? Yeah, and so that's why when I'm reading, it's normally relevant to travel and cultural, social issues, and then a lot of food topics. Yeah, sure. I remember talking to one of my tutors and trying to explain to him about this conference that I was about to go Mm -hmm. to. And it was so difficult because, yeah, I can say that I'm going to a conference for food, but that, like, it just wasn't translating because I was trying to tell him I'm going to a conference about social issues but i'm interested in the food chain right more specifically how the supply chain works and i'm like all right we're just gonna make this simple yeah. and then at the end he's like just say it like this then everyone will understand what you're saying yes. but that's exactly it right like you have this very particular niche that you're in that you have interest in if you want to be able to discuss that you've got to learn that and use it professionally which is a big part of why you're learning the language and it doesn't help you if you know how to say tangerine if you want to tangerine is bad because that deals with food it's a bad example but it doesn't help you if if you could say marathon if you don't know how to say supply chain and you wanted to talk about supply chain right with any of these things it's all about setting priorities once you get pronunciation down once you get basic vocabulary and basic grammar down then you got to pick your battles and figure out where you want to go This last week, you stopped doing Toggle effectively because you went to some conference that just swamped your time. What happened? How did it go? It went very, very well. I went to a conference called Net Impact in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have it every year, and it just gets together a bunch of people who a lot of them ended up being from the states given that it was in the states i think that's a given yeah sure but it was also from all over the world like there were some south africans there there were some italians there that came to discuss some of the big issues of today and what different people are doing a bunch of the panel speakers were from major corporations talking about their efforts in sustainability and i'm saying sustainability with air quotes but sustainability just means the issues across the board as they were talking about okay so the emphasis was on climate change or it was everything so it was social like racial equality gender equality climate change all right wow and it got into food issues food waste food transparency in the supply chain it was all of the social of ills clean of our society. energy yeah all of these okay. things and yeah after the end of the conference we, there was a lot of positivity and that was kind of part of the point of the conference but there was also a lot of wow there's so much if, especially if you don't stay on one track and just focus your efforts you're just getting this bombardment of there are so many things i need to be helping with or working yeah on. i can imagine that would be exhausting <laughs> yeah but it was also really a good learning experience. And I I did talk to someone about setting up a chapter because they have chapters throughout the world. That's why there were people from all okay. over. Wait, this, this conference has ne- chapters or? Net Impact, okay. which is what the conference is. But they are a nonprofit right. that has chapters all over the world. And they primarily started with graduate students and undergrad students, mm-hmm. but they also have professional chapters. Okay. And there's not one in Miami. So I was talking to someone who was head of a Boston chapter at some point. And when we started talking, he was telling me about his role, but also somehow we got on languages, which is funny because then he said, 
tell me all your hacks or what you've learned. Nice. And I said, okay, disclaimer, I'm not fluent in any other language besides English at this point, but my goal is to become That doesn't matter, Spanish though. Like, you figured out a lot of things. You've progressed in a more effective manner than a lot of people would be able to. Yeah, and I'm still able to talk about the hacks or all the different methodologies for learning a language, but I told him from the standpoint of this is part of why I moved to Miami. Mm. It's a big reason I moved. Yeah. I decided to go to Miami because it's a good jumping yeah. point in the language. So did he learn a lot from you in terms of Spanish, or do you think you're going to start we... a new chapter? Tell me more about this. <laughs> Okay, so on the language yeah, yeah, yeah. part, he was asking me just broad question. What are your methods? Okay. I said, okay, well, my methods are, and then I just outlined a couple because I didn't want to bombard him of with course. this. I wanted to first it's, it's see. It's too much. Yeah. So I said I used the Anki spaced repetition system, and I really started out after reading the book Fluent Forever, and since then I've kind of adapted it mm -hmm. and told him I'm also doing italki to actually talk to a tutor that way i'm more likely to go out in miami and actually try speaking because i've practiced it a bit right. more and then i asked him what his methodology was and he knew of spaced repetition systems when i said anki he didn't know exactly what i was talking about that's odd okay and then he had heard of italki and obviously the concept of using yeah. it but he was very much more geared towards a pimsleur and he, he mentioned Duolingo, but I, I said what anyone who I think has read Fluent Forever would probably say, that I don't love the translation aspect, yeah. and I really like the images and making myself learn it that way. That's the way. problem with Pimsleur as well. Yeah, but if it works for you, if you're someone who can pick up languages very well and Pimsleur works, whatever, well, go for it. He already knew French, but I don't know if he learned it from Pimsleur. Right. I feel like he might have learned it through school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and just so everybody knows, Pimsleur is basically this program developed by some Midwestern university, I think, uh, or professor at a Midwestern university, where it's just audio tapes, and you go through, and the idea is that it's supposed to be very common expressions that you might use when traveling, and so it teaches you basic phrases and things by telling you what it is in English, telling you what it is in the other language, and then moving you on and trying to have you repeat after it. And it's not the worst thing. When I first started exploring, trying to figure out how to learn other languages, Pimsleur was one of the first things that I settled on because it is accessible and it has a lot of traits that are beneficial. But one of the problems, as we've discussed before and as you just mentioned, translation is wholly ineffective and really slows down everything. Like if you're learning stuff yeah. through translation, then actually using the language becomes difficult using it in real yeah. time suddenly you have to translate back to english for it to be kind of natural and easy which is just hard yeah as you were describing pimsleur i realized that i knew it was an audio recording but i realized that while i was at a different job traveling around the country but in a car most of the mm -hmm. time I was figuring out how to continue learning Spanish when I have literally no time to use my hands. Yeah. And I, I did use a Pimsleur audiobook that I downloaded. <laughs> okay. And I didn't even realize it until now, but a lot of the phrases, you're very right, they were great for learning. Right. But I kept thinking to myself, I wish I wasn't driving so I could write down this phrase and put it in Anki <laughs> so I could actually remember Right, it. well, and that's, that's exactly it. That's the <laughs> power of space repetition. That space repetition, once you learn it, and if you study it as it, it comes back up in your system, you will just know it. You will know everything. Like, that's one of the things that I love about the way we've studied, that I know everything that I've ever learned in Spanish. And 
I studied French for years in college, and I went and lived in France. And there's a whole lot of French that I knew and don't know now. That I knew after my first semester of French and didn't know after my second semester of French. Because you just, you're not always practicing and using everything. And space repetition forces you to constantly know everything that you have ever learned, which is just... We'll have to test it in like two years, but I think you can already say that you feel very confident about this, given that you've been learning Spanish for... How long have you been learning Spanish? And you're now... A long time. Connected. I had a couple times when I had gaps of a couple months uh, when I didn't really study, but it's been a year and a half, I guess. More or less a year and a half, I would say. But what I'm talking about is as if you're still studying the cards, then you know it. Then you can feel so assured that you know everything. At the point that you stop studying it, you may forget it. But as long as you're still studying, you know, you're 20, 30 minutes a day, you will... Studying or using frequently right, enough to right. be using the same Well, words. yeah, because what I'm saying is that if you're studying your cards every day, the cards will surface every day, right? And so any cards that you don't know, you will relearn. And that's the whole point, that nothing falls through the cracks because you either remember it or you relearn it. All right, so you were telling me before that this, was it this guy that you were talking to? You were talking about the opening this new chapter. Do you think you're going to go this direction? You want to get into the nonprofit world? I know you're, you've been interested in that so, before. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. Net Impact as a whole is an NGO, but a lot of who they work with as a chapter, it would just be a professional organization that you'd be affiliated with and you'd have the perks of being able to associate yourself with this brand, one, and two, be able to connect with some of these other chapters for me to get it started because I'll have no idea how to get it started without really starting to use that network mm -hmm. and connecting with the Net Impact headquarters. But also just one of those things where when I moved here, I was trying to find a professional network. Yeah. Here's my gato. Just, yeah. you know. Just hanging out, making noise. <laughs> As per usual. You know. Back, back, hoping for food soon, soon. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to get involved with more networks here. Sure. And I've always wanted to go to this conference, but it never made sense because I was out of the country and things. Yeah. So after going to this and realizing this is a great network of people who have very good conversations around a breadth of issues, mm -hmm. that this makes a lot of sense to start aligning myself more with this network. But there's nothing in Miami, so I either have to start something or maybe just be associated with them from afar, which with how much I appreciated this conference... I really want to get more yeah more integrated with, with it yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's a difficult thing with living on the outskirts of the world I know Miami's yeah. not really the outer room but like yeah it's a frustrating thing when you're like oh I need to spend a ton of time and energy to try to start something so that I can have what I wanted in this other place yeah and there's a lot going on between Wednesday I start my job and I'm still working on my website and we're doing this and then to start a chapter sounds like too much to me yeah. but my thought is i'm gonna keep going on the things i have going and then start talking and connecting with the university of miami because i mentioned this to the net impact chapter lead and she said why don't you just do a hybrid where you can talk to them propose the idea let them know about some of the benefits get them connected and then they'd have to have a faculty member who is probably who you're connecting with sure. and a student to lead it but it's a hybrid professional hmm. 
and maybe graduate chapter. That's interesting. I said, that's a great yeah. idea because I don't think I can take it on in a leadership role right now. Well, and that would be really that's the ideal situation in a lot of things where you can start a kind of partnership, but you can get someone else to take on some of it because right. with, with anything like this, it's difficult to just take the mantle of everything onto yourself. And and it's frustrating yeah. to have to rely on other people a lot of the time I find, but it you know it's it it's much better if you can inspire some student to take on all of this responsibility and them get really eager and push them forward and you can kind of mentor them and help them develop as they're going through the process and, and help them come up with speakers and events and things like that. I'm happy to do a lot of the work. I just know that taking on a total leadership capacity right now doesn't make the most sense you're right like a lot of the value you could provide is providing guidance and things like a lot of the time you'll find students that are just craving opportunities and really want to push themselves and really want to get out there and stuff and you can share some of your experiences and help them step out and take over some of these things like you've done a lot of different things and i know neither of us right. have really or at least i haven't in my view really mentored anyone prior to this you know we're still in that kind of mentee stage of our life for the most part but I think there are definitely people out there and back when I used to be in a marching band back five years ago, I d did this with high school students when I was in college to where, you know, they don't know what they're doing. There's a whole lot that they can learn that you can just walk them through, like making those kinds of connections to actually mentor people younger than you and help guide them in situations when they're eager to move forward and you can just open the gates for them. That is as valuable as getting into that whole network that you want to get into in the first place. Yeah, n not to mention... In Miami, I'm not 100% sure how much interest there is in this topic. Yeah. And I know there's enough just based on some of the people I've started to connect with and hang out with more frequently. But there's still a substantial part of Miami that is known for a certain culture. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out who would want to be part of this group. Do we have enough interest for it to make sense? So just talking to the University of Miami and proposing that and getting feels out there for how many people would want to join and then doing that on my own will give me an idea. Yeah, no, that is interesting. I'm eager to hear how that goes. <laughs> I will keep you updated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> figuring out how you connect with people and how to network with people and find people who are like-minded in your local area that you can communicate with. Like, it's always easy to find people on the internet that want to deal with things that you want to deal with but it's completely different when you can interface with them in person and really build an in-person community with people and so that's something that i think will be hopefully beneficial for you will be very beneficial especially because i will have to go to some of these other networking mm -hmm. events to see who would be interested in this and there will probably be a lot of similarities and overlaps between some of the networking events that are very startup focused yeah. and what the net impact community is looking to sure do, of course so. yeah yeah no it's, it's interesting you always had uh interests that were slightly divergent from mine in terms of these sorts of things <laughs> social impact and nonprofits and agriculture and all of that and so yeah no I'm, I'm eager to watch how all of this goes and eager to learn from you in terms of what experiences you gained from this yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say I've always been interested in nonprofits, but before I had much more of an interest, and now I'm very much focused on social enterprise rather than nonprofit. But yep. I do really think there's a valuable space 
for nonprofits. It's just, I'm very grateful that social enterprise is such a thing now versus where it was probably when I was younger. It was a lot more a nonprofit scene and social enterprise was just coming on. Yeah, and enterprise so. is, well, yeah, you know where I stand on this. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should we should delve social, into that. Social entrepreneurship or any of the buzzwords you want to use around it, but business, business. for a common good. Yeah. Yeah. I think business is the term that yeah, should be used. Um, well, I guess you could say social business, but that also gets into yeah. a lot of things around, well, what is a social I'm really business? really just trying to boil down some of these intentions, but yeah. yeah. No, yeah, yeah but we, we, should, we should delve deeper into that at some point because obviously I have pretty strong opinions about the incentives that are needed for society to move forward. Yeah, I am curious to hear more at length your stance. Yeah, on this things. conference would have been so interesting for you on an opinion standpoint. Yeah, I, I, I imagine I would have clashed somewhat with some of the people, but... I mean, everyone does to a certain degree because you have such diverse and such opinionated minds yeah. all in one space. But you're also going to find I kept running into the same people. Sure. And that was my sign of, oh, we're supposed to be friends because we just keep... <laughs> yeah, you run into them two or three times. Well, and that's the great thing about conferences. Like, it really becomes like a little town, especially a multi-day conference. You just have this little group of people that you keep running into. You can really get to know them really well. It's kind of, I mean, it's not similar to this really at all, but it reminds me of when I have, like, backpacked across Europe. You show up in a hostel, and for the two or three yeah. days that you're in that town, you're just hanging out with these people from this hostel. And you get to know each other incredibly well. You bond a lot over these wonderful experiences that you had in a few days. And you go your separate ways. But a lot of times those connections are more enduring than a lot of people that you've known longer and done more things with. Because they're just there's this kind of rapid intensity and you spend so much time together in a short period of time. Yeah, and also, especially with this conference, you know that on some level you're very aligned with your intentions and your purpose for how you want to do things which alone you're, yeah. you're cutting through all of the small talk and you're getting straight to why are you here what is your thing it's a big hurdle to get over right yeah you know they're your people right, right. away yeah exactly yeah you want to wrap it up close it down yeah yeah, that sounds good. Because my roommate's home too, and yeah. I don't want to take up her kitchen for too much longer. And the gato yeah, is sure. like screaming. <laughs> All right, everyone, you can find this at subjectradio.com slash NTL slash 003. I know that's a lot of slashes, but nothing I could do. Yeah. So there it is. That's, that's what it will <laughs> that's be. That's what you're working with. <laughs> you can also find us on YouTube at NTL 003, whatever the title is. And yeah, uh, I guess I will see you next week. We will catch you next time. Well, actually, yeah, we need to talk about that, but we'll talk about that. Okay, we'll schedule it whenever we schedule it. I'll see y'all later. Have a good one. Doesn't make the most sense not to mention if I, not to mention if I am working. No, I lost it again. I'm really bad about doing that. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>